0: This podcast episode is brought to you by IronSource. IronSource are not a spinach-based nutrition company, as their name might suggest, but are actually a game tech company which builds technologies that help you guys take your games to the next level. The company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super-efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is a perfect partner for you. We here at Deconstructor of Fun are giant fans of IronSource because it's truly a growth platform that a developer of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on over to ironsource.com, ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Thanks.
1: Folks, most mobile advertisers are increasingly aware of the dangers of app install fraud. In fact, global financial exposure to app install fraud in the first half of 2020 was 1.6 billion. And even though the mobile ad industry has grown exponentially to defend itself properly against ad fraud, the potential amount of damage is still extremely high, and fraudsters will always want a piece of that pie. Now, fraud methods are constantly evolving and adapting to solutions in the market. Still, staying protected and applying sophisticated anti-fraud solutions are very much a necessity for all marketers. As you all know, our good partner, AppsFlyer, offers super robust fraud protection, making sure you're not paying for that bogus traffic. AppsFlyer is also perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile. A true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive that marketing success. And listen, it's not only us here at Deconstructor of Fun raving about AppsFlyer. PlayRix, Tencent, PlayTika, Square Enix, Huge Games, all of these companies and many more are using AppsFlyer to boost their business. So go to appsflyer.com and get yourself attribution and fraud protection you can trust. Welcome, everybody. The
0: focus of our discussion today, as everyone is probably already well aware, is the legal suit by Epic against Apple and Google. Now, just about every single person in our industry has a strong and, in my opinion, largely misguided legal opinion about the situation, even though they literally have zero legal background. So today we are joined by two actual lawyers to talk legal implications and potential of Epic's legal suit. First, we have antitrust and IP specialist Ryan Tisch, a partner at Washington, D.C.-based Kroll. And we have video games industry lawyer, David Hoppy, a partner at Gamma Law right here in San Francisco. So welcome guys.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: And before we begin, maybe we could just get a super quick introduction from both of you guys on your legal background just to establish your expertise in weighing in on today's topic. Uh, maybe starting with you, Ryan.
3: That'd be great. Uh, as you said, my name is Ryan Tish. I'm a partner at the law firm of Kroll and Mooring in Washington, D.C. I'm an antitrust specialist, which means I usually do uh, mergers and acquisitions and and uh, uh, and government uh, regulatory approvals of deals. Uh, but I also counsel tons of clients on the kinds of uh, of antitrust questions that are raised in the twin lawsuits uh, brought by Epic, including uh, when to figure out when a, a company has an imper- impermissible amount of market power, uh, whether they are a Monopolist, uh, or whether they've reached an, an illegal agreement with another company to avoid competing with them. So this uh, this pair of lawsuits is just a total bonanza for someone like me, uh, who loves thinking about how competition actually works in the real world and affects the products we all use.
2: Okay, David. All right, so uh, David Hoppy, uh, founder and managing partner of Gamma Law in San Francisco. Uh, we are a video games, esports focused, a law practice and uh, have been in this space for some 15, 16 years, possibly more, and uh, have worked with um, uh, publishers uh, from the size of uh, Capcom down to uh, all sorts of smaller developers and publishers and others in the space.
0: Awesome. So maybe just diving right in, I thought we could first start by talking about the lawsuits and the legal situations themselves. So first of all, it does seem like there's a big misunderstanding by a lot of folks in the industry which has to do with the interpretation of what the lawsuits are actually even about. So lots of people still believe Epic is suing to reduce App Store platform fees, but in fact Epic has asked for an injunction halting anti-competitive behavior. So maybe we could start there. Could you guys explain to many of us uh, not aware of the specific legalese, what does this actually mean? What is an injunction and legally, what is Epic actually trying to do?
3: A lot of people are getting it wrong in terms of what what is the lawsuit about, but maybe they're not getting it so wrong. In the end, I think Epic's goal has got to be to try to bring down the VIG that the the tech companies take out of the in-app purchases that they get their users to make. Uh, But what they're really asking the court for is to ask Apple to stop making them allow uh, only purchases in-app that are made using the payment tools and allowing the 30% commission that Apple and Google take. Currently, it's a a long way around, uh, but what they're really saying to the court is, uh, these guys have uh, either twin monopolies or they are kind of dual monopolists in a 50-50 kind of market for operating systems. Um, And Court, you got to come in here and tell these guys to let us sell things to our users using other ways of paying. And whether the long game is to to actually get that competition in there or whether the long game is uh, to pressure both companies to kind of come back to the table and uh, get to what looks like a more reasonable fee structure. I think time is going to have to tell. I don't know how David feels about it.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely, um, and that is, um, uh, Joe. Maybe your next question, but what is the real objective here on the part of uh, of Epic? And you know, I'm interested, Ryan, in your opinion on this. But uh, from my perspective, at least reading the pleadings, uh, not being an antitrust specialist, but um, it strikes me that um, the law seems to be. It strikes me that EPIC would need to get the judge to, to reach a bit beyond existing law in order to, to get what they're, what they're requesting in the complaint. So is that the real objective or is their objective to, you know, force some negotiations here, you know, several months into this um, or maybe some other uh, a goal? No one knows, of course, but it's interesting to, to consider what, what the various uh, outcomes might be.
3: I think, you're, I think you're reading that absolutely right. I mean, I think it, it will require some reaching for, for this plaintiff to get as far as they want to get in the lawsuit. But as most lawyers know, lawsuits are crazy living things that, that change at every moment and twist and turn. And so there's every chance that there's a fully realized kind of commercial strategy that's under this that is not about driving all the way through an antitrust litigation, which by the way, can take years and years to get to a, a decision by a judge.
0: Got it. So at least publicly Tim Sweeney and Epic have talked about open competition and they've tried to, I mean, they've launched a, at least on the Android side, a mobile app store. But given the legal situation, given that it might be a reach, maybe to your point, maybe the ultimate objective is to just not, it, it may not go that far. It may just be to reduce the fees is what you guys are speculating.
2: What it's interesting, you know, in, in the most recent, you know, of course, we did hear actually from the court uh, yeah. on uh, Tuesday, I guess, was was when the uh, the decision was released on the, the temporary restraining order. And uh, she made the point, uh, the judge made the point, well, well listen, you know, it, it may well be that the 30% uh, commission taken by the platform owners needs to be reduced but I'm pretty sure that, you know, whatever that number winds up to be, it's not zero <laughs> <So>. percent. <laughs> right. yeah.
4: Was was there any significance about them in their suit? They basically uh, in for Epic, they weren't going after themselves to get open up the ecosystem for themselves, but open up for everybody because they could have just gone in and said, we think it's unfair for our business. Is there like any significance about trying to make it more broad and, and trying to change the entire ecosystem? Is that like a strategy or is that just? It's a, it's a good question, right? I mean, I, what it's done is
3: to draw in lots of other companies who have come and said, we think this is right, that we have a problem with this as well. And don't forget Epic has had a history of picking fights with companies that have tried to close their platforms, including Microsoft, which, there are significant differences between opening up iOS and opening up a kind of an augmented reality future platform that's not really a commercial juggernaut today, but they did end up getting Microsoft to back down once um, in a sort of similar kind of confrontation. And for the last year, they've been quite lovey-dovey over time. So I, I think in part, it's also a public relations sort of a thing that Epic wants gamers and other people to see them as crusaders for the opening up of the iOS platform. But David, to your point, what the judge said about the price not being zero, that, that leaves a big question unanswered, which is who's going to pay to build these marvelous ecosystems, the I, you know, iOS and, and Android, that let us all have these products, that the price can't be zero. So you can only crusade so far when it goes to, to saying how much the developers of, of these big ecosystems should get paid.
0: Right. And And there's been a lot of talk in terms of like Epic versus Apple, but I guess the other horse in this race is Google. And so there hasn't been a lot of discussion about Epic versus Google. Are the lawsuits pretty much the same? Is the situation the same, except that the battle between Epic and Apple is just more visible and Apple's taking harsher kind of retaliatory tactics? Is that the current situation?
2: I think that's a really interesting question, Joe. I mean, you know, in in some ways, it seems to me and interested in Ryan's opinion on this, but some some ways it seems to me Google is a better defendant for for Epic. I mean, Google actually has, um, you know, I mean, they don't have monopoly power. I don't think under under the, the traditional measurement of that in terms of percentage of market share. But at least they have a majority of the market share in the United States, which which Apple does not. But at the same time, the Google store is a bit more complicated because they do allow other app stores on the platform. It's just they take various steps to make it difficult for users <laughs> to, uh, to, to, to make purchases through those app stores, right? But, yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, why, did, why was Apple chosen as the bad guy? Um, and, and this actually is a bit of a trend, isn't it, in, in the various other uh, investigations and lawsuits that are pending now with respect to, to platform fees? Not really sure about that, except, you know, the the uh, the, the Fortnite character is, uh, you know, the Tart tycoon, right? It's probably easier to mock Apple and maybe easier to villainize no, no. in a way that Google's not. I mean,
4: th- this is something that I've been ranting about for the last few months. It's because Apple is terrible, like they're terrible to their partners and no one talks about it because they get blacklisted and you know the gestapo apple people won't like feature your game or whatever even the podcast got in a little trouble for talking trash about arcade you know so it's like they have they have they they are they have deep pockets and they have a lot of reach and so you no one ever wants to talk trash about them and so they're 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 not a benevolent platform and i think i think that's part of the reason why i think people are getting a little more aggro against them versus google issue and all the stuff that they're doing is terrible for the ecosystem, you know? Yeah, I think there might be an emotional
3: difference between the two, and, and David, you're rightly putting your finger on one respect in which uh, Google and Android you know, are the preferred defendant given their reach, their ubiquity, and certainly outside the United States where they're, in fact, in many countries, much bigger than iOS. But actually, I think Apple, Apple itself is technically the juicier target for for epic in part because of the side loading thing that you mentioned, uh, David, whichever everyone sort of laughs at when you say it, because when was the last time you tried to actually sideload something around Google Play. I mean, it's just a total nightmare. But you'll notice if you look at the two lawsuits, the big difference in the in the counts, the antitrust counts against the two defendants is that they're suing Apple for what's known as uh, the monopolization of essentially a, a, a what's called an essential facility, something that you need access to to access a market. They can't say that about Google because you can sideload things and sort of work around them, however impractical that is. And I would expect in the real lawsuit against Google they'll be saying, in practical effect, there's an essential facility there because there's no way around it, uh, but it's very unusual for antitrust plaintiffs to claim that they need access to an essential facility because the doctrine, the you know, the precedent, the law is so hard to prove, just way out there. Uh, remarkable that they threw that count in, I think, and and remarkable that they only threw it in against Apple. Apple is a totally walled garden where Android pretends not to be.
4: Right. Well, this actually lends us right up to the next question. So, Apple took a few more steps after this uh, this lawsuit was filed. First thing they they threatened to uh, terminate. Oh no, they did terminate Epic's game accounts, uh, and so that no games that come from Epic are, are available on the store anywhere. So their developer account is gone. But what they also threatened was their engine account, right? In which removing their engine account would basically render all the games that use unreal, including ironically, uh PUBG, which was heavily featured <laughs> when when uh when uh the game came down. Uh, when and so so anyway, so this was like some their response and talk about being a total jerks, right? You know the, the fact that Apple is even doing this seems odd to me in general. Like this response is draconian at best because they're not only punishing Epic, but they're punishing all the developers that use Epic's engines. So could you just talk about that from the perspective of the of the of the judge? Because she basically overruled this this lawsuit. And I'm using all this terminology wrong, I know. But (laughs) but
3: if you were using it right, you wouldn't need us.
4: Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) So can you just walk us through exactly how that happened? And and again, for me, like, what was the strategy? Was was Apple really trying to make this happen? I mean, could they actually get this done? as a reaction to this or was it more posturing and more like a more strategy, legal strategy?
2: So Ryan will will correct me here, but it just strikes me that that never had a chance of succeeding, meaning uh, Apple's um, claim, which I think came. So first of all, you know, in the morning of the 13th, when they realized what had happened and that Fortnite had uh, uploaded this uh, alternative payment option, of course, first they replied with the with the message that uh, you better take that down. Um, or Fortnite's coming out of the App Store, right? And then, like, what, 14 hours later, they sent a second email to Epic that said, you better conform to the terms of the developer agreements or the Unreal Engine will also be taken down, right? So it's interesting. Obviously, there was, um, there was some discussion at, at Apple throughout the day. But, at, you know, what do they hope to achieve by that? Because it seems to me, in some ways, it plays right into the claims of Epic that this is a monopolistic organization that's retaliating and behaving in an anti-competitive manner
3: yeah I thought the judge really cottoned onto that too I'm not going to correct you because you're hundred percent right David but the the judge um, the the difference between the temporary restraining order request in terms of reinstating the games in the in the app store and the temporary uh, restraining order with respect to uh, the unreal engine the difference in her mind she she didn't grant the former and granted the latter. Uh, was the harm imposed on third parties, all of those developers who have stuff they're working on with the Unreal Engine who are all harmed by that. I thought she was really uh, also struck by the fact that there are different contracts that govern Epic's use of one and the other, and that while Epic is breaching their contract with respect to the conditions for the App Store, for the in-app payments, they weren't breaching the Unreal Engine uh, agreements. And that bugged the judge. She, She didn't like that. I always say... Uh, TROs, temporary restraining orders, are real hard to get. That seems to have been a miscalculation. But if you think about how tightly woven together these companies are, there's just lots of little nerves they can pluck. And it seems that Apple decided they were going to turn the pressure all the way up.
4: As a non-legal opinion on this, and I've already stated this before, is that this is exactly why Apple is the demon in this lawsuit, or that's why the focus is on Apple so much, is because they are acting bad actors in this space right they they are basically saying we don't care about any of the hundred of games that are built on the unreal engine including PUBG, which is the, the direct competitor and we will be willing to sacrifice all that revenue because we're upset with what they've done you know with what they're trying to do at epic you know so I, for me it's just kind of a it's just part of the narrative of of how apple is not acting on on good faith with the
2: publishers and the developers out there I think it's really interesting, you know, when two parties have multiple agreements, it's very common to have what they call a cross default provision, which says, if you breach uh, agreement A with us, then we we don't want to work with you anymore on agreement B or agreement C, right? Um, And it's interesting that that there appears not to be, and I haven't gone back, but apparently there is not a cross default provision in the Apple developer agreements, which means that Apple is forced to continue to do business in this case, you know, by the judge, basically with Epic in other, under other developer agreements, despite, you know, having a legitimate breach claim under one of those agreements.
0: Right. So given all of that, and just kind of speculating a little bit, do we think that the actions against unreal engine, you know, I've talked to lawyers before and it's like, well, there's kind of like this legal strategy. We're going to posture this and we're going to do this. We're not, we're not going to get it, but we're going to do this. So do you think that was to like from Apple's perspective to have such a strong retaliatory action so that it scares off anyone else from trying to jump in and, and kind of partner up with epic Do you guys think that that may have been the strategy there.
3: As David points out, it's very common to have pieces of contracts that link them together so you can do that. Nobody wants to be performing a contract with somebody that they think has acted in bad faith or breached another one. And so in part, you would say every company has the right to sort of contract with whomever they want. And if they suddenly don't trust a major partner, they will usually have put in place uh, provisions that allow them to make that decision. I don't, obviously we can't read those agreements, but from what the judge says, it sounds like they didn't do that in this case, but I think it gets to the end game here. You know, there's a new season out in Fortnite. Think about all the revenue that's being missed minute by minute out there as as an entire half the users of Fortnite in the United States are not making in-app Purchases and who's better positioned to withstand that kind of revenue loss? I always say nothing solves a conflict better than somebody losing huge amounts of money for as long as the conflict is going on. But to Eric's point, one of these companies can withstand that a lot better than the other one. And I, I kind of wonder, you know, h- how much pain uh, Apple can inflict on Epic uh, and how much pain Epic can take. Uh, over time. Um, yeah, but the thing is, is that, that Epic,
4: yeah, the majority of Epic's revenue though is not from mobile. It's like, I yeah. think like 10 to 12, 13% or something like that. So the, they, I don't it could, think they... It could add up to something over time. I mean, you know, it's meaningful by almost every measure, but I'm saying- in, It's in the not the of majority, their business, that's right. Yes, in their, skin yeah. with their business. Yeah. Yes, I, I don't, you know, whatever.
3: Uh, the the well, psychic pain of, of uh, assorted eighth graders everywhere is probably a much bigger <laughs> factor than the, uh, the actual cash in the short term. All right,
0: let's talk scenarios here. Is, is it just when, where Epic actually is successful and then they can introduce, do we see this kind of scenario as a realistic potential outcome where they can actually launch their own app store? They lose and then they're just not on mobile anymore or settle where maybe Epic behind the scenes gets a lower, like a reduced platform fee, or are there other scenarios that could potentially kind of fall out of this current situation? What, what do you guys think?
2: Well, maybe um, I'll start. Maybe as we as we dig into that a bit, let's consider the the calendar here and what's going to happen. So, yeah. a month from now, we have uh, we have another hearing, which is the hearing on the preliminary injunction, which is just a more kind of serious, developed version of the arguments we heard earlier this week on the temporary restraining order. And then at some point, we'll probably have a motion to dismiss, right, uh, Ryan? I suppose we'll have a, a motion to dismiss by Apple. And that's probably where we'll get into the real substance of the antitrust arguments. And, you know, is anything likely to happen in terms of settlements or meaningful negotiations be, between now and then? I would think not.
3: I agree. Yeah. Those are those first kind of gating parts of a lawsuit, and everybody writes their complaint and starts their lawsuit thinking about those next milestones that, that the additional clarity you'll get from the judge on what she actually thinks of these arguments is gonna set the actual stage for any kind of settlement or resolution that comes after that, do I think that it's possible Epic will go all the way through with this lawsuit and get a, a, a verdict in their own favor and by force of the court upset the apple, uh, the, the, the apple cart? <laughs> with respect to in-app purchases, I, I don't expect that. I think that takes a really, really long time. But as I sat and thought about what are the other possible end stages here, It's hard to pick one, in in one sense, if you're Apple, you could give a few points back to Epic as part of a settlement, and Epic can sort of say, never mind, we resolved our our issues, but how satisfying is it for Epic to, what, get down to 25%? It doesn't seem like that's what they're aiming at. There are other companies who uh, have apps that, that have got different deals. With both of those companies, including Amazon, as I understand it, um, so you know Epic can join them, but what's that going to do for their kind of this public crusade about setting free the the operating systems? Uh,
4: yeah, Tim Sweeney, that's not what he wants, right? So I don't it think doesn't that seem would be very satisfying. Tim Sweeney. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just listening to him talk on the podcast and reading the lawsuits, like he really wants them to open up a platform for other transaction systems for everybody, and so. So if, if that's what he's after, so what, what, what is the likely outcome or is there a likely outcome? I mean, could they negotiate a lower fee for everybody? I mean, sorry, I, I don't have a legal opinion. I have my own, you know, uninformed opinion, but it just seems impossible.
0: But at the same time, so there's kind of like this conspiracy theory around the, apparently the law firms that represented like Qualcomm versus Apple in this now settled patent dispute case are the same law firms representing Epic and Apple. So to what degree does, do you guys think that that's kind of teeing up for a settlement or does that not matter? What what do you guys think?
3: Well, speaking from an antitrust perspective, and, and David, you're uh, out in the industry, and you'll you'll have a maybe a more informed view of this. I just think those are the people that people call for these mega disputes. They're big names; they know what they're doing, um, and they they will know how to resolve the the issue in the way that's most favorable for their clients. But there's certainly no strangers to sitting down and negotiating over big, complicated webs of contracts and agreements in an industry like this.
2: Got it. Yeah, I would just add, I know that um, the firm that's uh, that's working with Apple, of course, um, is also representing them in the uh, in, in at least one of the pending antitrust actions, which is the developer uh, antitrust action. But the okay. well, there's also a consumer antitrust action, there's, there's, quite, <laughs> there's a lot going on against Apple right now. Right. You know, of course, there's a congressional investigation, there's the European Union investigation. European.
0: David, you mentioned some aspects of the timing, but what from a timing perspective, Based on the different scenarios, what what should we be thinking about? You know, if they would settle quickly or if this thing drags out, what's like the longer term timeframe that we're talking
4: about?
2: Well, so, you know, there will be a a lot of action, relatively speaking, in the next, let's say, six or eight months. But assuming that um, there hasn't been a settlement, then we're in for a very long period where nothing much is going to happen. Right, Ryan?
3: Absolutely. Boy, if, it's very hard to give the, the odds of this, but I think some part of this is not unlikely to get past a motion to dismiss. Um, and just to, to break that down for people who don't have the great fortune of sitting around thinking about any trust litigation all day, a motion to dismiss is the very first part uh, where you go in front of the judge and the judge decides, have you said something here that if you proved it, would be enough for me to order relief, that there's an actual legal claim that you are claiming here. They look at, at, at the law that sort of underpins all the claims that Epic is making against Apple and Google and decide whether or not there's even a possibility the lawsuit should go forward. And if you get past the motion to dismiss, uh, which is not unlikely in a big, complicated lawsuit like this with very smart people who have written a complaint that should get passed a motion to, to dismiss, you get into what's called discovery, where people have to open up their files, tell each other what's going on, and the fighting over that can take years and years and years in part because they will also be getting every kind of expert involved in this, um, and to to prepare an expert to give an opinion about this, the, you know, the, the science end of this, the economics of it takes, ex- uh, forever, I mean, it takes a really long time and it's very expensive. So I, I agree with David that there's like an inflection point in the next few months at which something may happen. Sometimes uh, parties don't get themselves fully dug in at that point, and once discovery starts, that gets so painful for them. That things may change, but for two very well-funded litigants like this, I would expect that if the battle lines are drawn after motion, a motion to dismiss, this could go on for quite some time. So, but in uh, your experience, uh, what
0: kind of like how many years are we talking? Are we talking like three years, uh, like eight years, I, or-
3: one, of, one of my partners gave an oral argument on a threshold legal question in a, a lawsuit that was brought against our client. They, they gave that argument this week in a lawsuit that was brought against our client in I think 2013. Jesus. And that has just been multiple, multiple rounds of, uh, of different factual questions getting called in front of the court and resolved. And then other phases of the case going forward, things getting put up on appeal and brought back. I think everything the public thinks about the way the courts work, they work that way for a reason, but they do work that way. They'll take a long, long time.
4: Do, is, it, is it possible that we could see other plaintiffs come after Apple? So place people like the ones that come to mind are Match.com, Tinder, uh, Spotify. Spotify, the Spotify case. Yeah, that was my second question. But like, could, could we see a group of the willing to come out and just basically get on top, follow Epic's lead and, and go after Apple? Would would that? Does that even help the case? Or? I mean, does does it add more weight to it?
2: Or? I don't know. Does that does that make any well, I think, difference? Um, it's, it's a great question. And, um, you know, of course, we saw Microsoft, which uh, seemed to me quite surprising step up yeah. you know, and file that pleading in, in support of the preventing the Unreal Engine from, from being taken down. Um, obviously, Microsoft has potentially their own, <laughs> they have a lot to lose if, uh, uh, if e- Epic prevails in this case. And it makes me wonder why exactly did they do that? And of course, they only weighed in on the one narrow question about um, taking down the Unreal Engine, right? They didn't weigh in on the overall antitrust claim. But uh, having kind of aligned themselves with Epic at this point, it makes me wonder if they really don't think that uh, Epic has a realistic chance of winning on the antitrust claim. So they don't see anything really to lose. I see. Um, Maybe, I don't know. But
4: but they're all bent out of shape because they wouldn't allow xCloud on Apple's devices. Right. This happened a few weeks ago. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, this is like just the, the battle of the big. Right. These huge companies just going after each other. Right. It is. And and Eric, to
3: your point previously, yeah, I I mean jumping in at this point, unless you've got a, a sort of different set of facts that you're trying to pursue, it doesn't really add much to the weight of the lawsuit. It would be one thing if Epic were some tiny little company that couldn't afford to carry on and you needed a coalition of the willing. I think some of these public statements by the matches and others of the world. They add some some moral credence or some sort of weight in the mind of consumers that this is a good lawsuit that should go forward. But uh, you know, I would be advising my clients to kind of watch and, and see what happens. They're so always sort of grateful when somebody else wants to take on an antitrust lawsuit because it's a huge, huge uh, burden right, right. to take on yourself, very expensive.
4: Right. And so so this is my, my second question, and I think uh, Dave and I have talked about this in the past, is that the legal precedent now this is where I want you guys to correct me because I've been saying this I probably very erroneously over the years, but the legal precedent for this is very weak. Like the the fact that the chance of them opening up their platform and allowing other people, other transaction systems and there is pretty slim to none, is what I've been understanding. However, the case against Spotify or Spotify against Apple is far more stronger in the sense that they are competing directly against Apple with a, a service that is. Uh, almost identical, and they are they are paying a 30% fee for that privilege. And so am I correct in in that assumption is that 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 argument in that case is a lot more winnable with the precedents and the laws that are on the books today? Is that accurate?
2: I would have thought, and that's why I was going to say a moment ago, when you're talking about other plaintiffs potentially joining, I wonder if, you know, that certainly would add an important element, I think, to this overall claim that Apple is a monopolist and unfairly using its, its power. If you had, uh, you know, a, a company that actually is offering a service that competes with Apple on their own platform and is seeing their rankings uh, allegedly pushed down uh, unfairly and a variety of other harms as a result of that.
3: Yeah, I would say almost all antitrust claims are really pretty hard for plaintiffs to make in the United States, which is a, a uh, an antitrust regime that presumes that competition will take care of itself for the most part. Um, Eric, I think you're actually getting exactly right. It's very hard to make out a case like this. Uh, I think it is easier to make out a case when you're the competitor getting harmed because there's just a... An intuitive kind of, oh, yeah, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. And that's a claim that we call uh, often, it's a claim we call tying, which is to say, I've got power in one market. I'm going to make you use another product of mine because you need the first one. Um, and I'm going to crowd you out using my power in the first market to attain new power in the second market. It is way harder to get out of a lawsuit like that for a defendant.
4: It's like that was like the Microsoft, like the Explorer thing, right? Wasn't that exactly. similar?
3: exactly yeah and you can see the the, the fear i think courts really kind of recoil from these in a way because it's so hard for them to understand the science behind them to dig into what's inside an operating system and like one of the big questions in a time cases are the two products really separate products are they really two parts of the same product you don't sue someone for tying right shoes to left shoes um, although they're physically different things I think Apple has has will probably make a lot of arguments against these tying claims that there's something integrated about the two of them that makes them work better or something together. A much stronger case for Spotify to say no, no, no. You have a music store and you're trying to keep my music store out. Um, right, right. We'll see what happens. Right, right.
4: All right. So, all right. Putting your feet to the fire here. If you were to guess what is going to happen, I think you've kind of already said it. But if you, what's your big prediction of where this ends up with Epic versus Apple, you know, short-term and long-term? And we'll start with Ryan.
3: Okay, Uh, I mean, I predict they duke it out for a while. I think they're gonna wanna see what the judge thinks about these arguments straight up, whether the thing's got legs or not. Assuming that parts of it do, which I think you've got really smart lawyers filing this lawsuit, I don't think they would have filed something that hasn't got a, a prayer in that sense, that the people are gonna start to look for Either ways to resolve it or, you know, some way to win over a long period of time. If you had to, if I had to be a, a betting man, I would say there's a settlement in sort of six to 12 months time that addresses some of Epic's concerns, but doesn't leave Apple without a way to monetize every in-app purchase, because otherwise they're just going to have to go to some other revenue model to um, to recoup the the ongoing investment in iOS. What do you think, David?
2: Uh, yeah, so my, uh, I, I think I would approach it from the perspective of the fact that Apple is under an unprecedented amount of pressure from various fronts now about the existing commission rate. And, and let's remember, you know, when the App Store was, um, was announced by Steve Jobs in 2008, when it launched, uh, it was an amazingly economical way for developers to offer their games and other apps. Uh, at thirty percent, you know, given that the apps were typically ninety nine cents, that barely covered the the credit card uh, processing fees, right? And obviously, much has changed since two thousand and eight and And that seems to be you know a, a big part of the reason why suddenly we're seeing this convergence of all these um c- claims uh, against uh against Apple and secondarily against Google. so my guess is that um, all this pressure from you know from Washington from the eu from these uh, class action lawsuits and now from the this epic lawsuit it is going to force Apple and Google to come up with a more let's say sophisticated pricing structure that doesn't, um, instead of this kind of stake in the ground 30%, right? and uh, and one that more kind of reflects the value they're adding and, and market realities in in 2020 and my guess is that what will happen then is the epic lawsuit epic's not going to get everything they 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 want however there will be some concessions in terms of the of the commissions and my guess is that uh, epic would likely would likely withdraw its claims at that point yeah. and and
3: real question how much will that benefit other other companies, if if as David is positing uh, is correct, and I think he may well be, Uh, If this is going to be a sort of a paradigm shift for the the OS companies that forces them to come up with some other model, others may well really benefit from that. But wouldn't it be better for them in some ways to try to negotiate one-off bespoke kind of deals the way they have with the very few of their um, app developers and try to sort of ride this as long as they can? I wonder whether the regulatory pressure sort of converges as David is theorizing that that it will to try to drive a solution that benefits more than just Epic.
0: You gotta think that Epic probably realizes that to get all that they want is probably unrealistic. So they probably have some kind of settlement scenario in mind that's not just reduce the fee because Tim Sweeney has always been you know, pretty clear that it's not about the fee, it's not about the fee. So I'm just wondering, you have to think that before Epic engaged in this, that they've got something in mind that's not fully interoperability, fully like competing at the store level. And I just wonder what that is, but I don't know if you guys have any. space.
3: Like any good litigant, they won't tell you what it is right at the outset. You got to go through some of the litigation and yep. play some of the chess to figure out what it is thereafter. But me, I, I, my, my big question is: think of the children. Like what? <laughs> weeks and weeks and weeks of this, I fear our teens are going to uh, to explode in flames if they're really going to be kept away from the the new season.
4: No, the good, but no, the good news is that you'll start buying consoles. Yeah, if you're playing on mobile. That's
3: yeah, good for the business. That's right. right yes and um, sweeney has got no problem with people paying the consoles that's
4: right i have a question for you ryan really quickly not quite off topic but so if you were to do, have done this lawsuit with epic would you have done it any differently would you have like this not only not only the lawsuit itself but the strategy behind it you know like putting your yeah. they basically put their game back on the google store and then circumvented both <laughs> stores they get pulled down immediately and then they have a lawsuit ready and then they have this commercial that mocking, you know, one of the most iconic commercials ever made of of Apple, which probably pissed off everybody in the C-suite there. I mean, I guess what would you, would you have done it any differently? i mean
3: well it's really interesting because judge rogers the the judge hearing the the case and who issued the decision in the in the tro proceedings sort of posits a different way to pursue this she sort of said "Why, why are you forcing everybody's hand when you could just sue leave things the way they were keep paying um, and let the courts figure it out. And I, all I can imagine is that, that there's such a sense of urgency about this that they felt that going in with all guns blazing was the best way to get Apple and Google's attention and get something done. Uh, you got, if you read the complaint, it's really wonderfully written. It's fairly easy for even a layman to understand. And they put in all the kinds of counts that you would put in. I think what they've got to be dealing with is, as you said, Joe, a very clear end game that the client has set out for them. And for those of the, us on the outside who haven't heard that, it's hard to say whether the the strategy that they've put out there matches um, what the client wants to have happen, but you gotta imagine it does, because these are some of the best antitrust lawyers working out there. So I, no, I think this is um, it's a good strategy, but it requires a client with nerves of steel, big pockets, and a willingness to like really go to the mat, which most most of my clients, most of anybody's clients, don't have the appetite for in the
4: end. Got it.
2: And, and I think I would just add, I mean, I think it's really impressive what, you know, the the production, you could say, that uh, that EPIC has presented here uh, yeah. with the lawsuit. Uh, and, and, of course, that was noted in Judge Roger's, you know, order uh, earlier this week. I mean, it potentially can backfire, right? It can look like you're sort of trivializing a lawsuit uh, filing. You're sort of maybe unfairly trying to mobilize people, public opinion. But at the same time, I really have to respect, you know, the lead up to this uh, to this dispute, um, the planning, obviously, that went into it, the amount of uh, thinking uh, and deliberation that must have, um, must have preceded all this.
0: Right. At least it seems to have emboldened a lot of other companies to start taking shots at Apple, right? Like even Facebook is like, hey, this is monopolistic behavior, even though they (laughs) mandated credits
4: on their social game exactly they they annihilated a whole industry at facebook yeah <laughs> their their hands are not clean you know, but, but oh, I,
3: yeah I, and, and sometimes you smell blood and the sharks come around I, it's very it'll be very interesting sometimes when you're counseling a defendant like this all you can tell them is don't settle that because, uh, you know, if you think you're going to get away with what I said a few minutes ago, which is a resolution to just Epic's problem, the second anyone gets a whiff that you're willing to budge even a little bit, you're going to end up in negotiations with everybody else. So, I, you know, this it looks like the confrontation has finally come.
4: Right, huh.
0: Okay, well, I think that's all the questions that we have guys. I really want to thank you so much for your time. Ryan and David, if you have any final message for our audience, any legal advice or uh, any other final thoughts, please let us know.
3: Oh, I think I would just say that in, in the life of every monopolist, people don't start out monopolists. they build something special and unique and they become monopolist because they're really good at what they do. It'll be a fascinating case to see what happens to a truly mature set of businesses that have really big user bases. And I, as I said, I think um, there's a lot of 13 year olds just waiting to see what Judge Rogers does. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's right. And one of them actually uh, uh sits in this room that I'm sitting in right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh and is uh constantly haranguing me about V Bucks, et cetera. He plays on console, so this doesn't directly uh impact our family life. But anyway, uh yeah, fascinating dispute and it certainly you know, broadened the audience for antitrust litigation perhaps than one could ever have imagined here. So uh, many, many, many people will be watching uh, with the interest to see how this develops.
4: Thank you, guys, so much for uh, of your time and your legal ease, and your yes, brevity. You. and Your brevity among <laughs> of all, of all the brevity is great. All right. yeah, we thanks agree, all, guys. Thanks for having all us. Right. All right, bye. See you.